Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Jokoji. As you may have witnessed, uh, Chikoji's going through a few changes this weekend. Um, Some construction is going on, and uh, we're trying to we're trying to improve our situation here. And uh, so we're in a little bit of a transition this weekend. And I could say, too, that we're also in a transition this whole summer. Um, There's been a uh, uh, some changes that have gone on with Jikoji's um, situation as far as how how it uh, how it's being managed and uh, how the residents are. So this is a bit of a time of um, of transition a bit and um, like with any time of change there's it also involves some um, some tension and before things kind of settle down and become uh, normal once again before we have water again we do have water don't we sort of in the creek in the creek (laughs) (laughs) so we have a bucket brigade yeah Um, of course, transition is always hard, and uh, in this instance, some people are um, not so happy that we're making changes, but uh, they're very necessary that uh, as we grow, that we need a, a little more structure here, and um, um, with our physical situation and how we manage ourselves. So um, that's where we are. That's our, our place, and um, what I'd like to uh, offer to the, uh, this morning is uh, something a little um, less um, um, formal in the sense that, please come in. Uh, in the in the tradition of Kobenchino Otagawa Roshi, the founder of this temple, he often would, uh, rather than come with some topic or to present, he would simply offer the uh, opportunity for uh, questions to arise from all of us, and um, and kind of see where where things go. Um, I'm hoping we could do that this morning a bit, uh, and um, maybe, but uh, but maybe keep on 
on the topic of our practice experience, of how we practice together, and how we, the experience of practice, the, um, and also how we extend the practice out into our everyday life as well, I think is an important thing to come up. So. So we can have a little more of a uh, 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 kind of open forum here, and uh, there can be some questions or statements about practice, if anyone would like to begin. Yes, go ahead. I'd just like to say that the public address system is not working. It's one of the things in transition. <laughs> so ah. <laughs> I encourage to speak up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I can begin. Oh, do you have something? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, if if you'd permit me, I'd like to begin with a story, a little story, a Zen story, um, kind of traditional um, koan stories. Um, and this one talks about practice in kind of an uh, interesting way. Um, a friend just gave me this book, and we're going to be studying this book next year um, with, during some of our sessions. So this is a story of, this, uh, like the koan stories, this is a, um, uh, a, a conversation, a story of, of a conversation um, that has some, some teaching in it that becomes, um, becomes recorded and uh, passed on through the generations. So this is from uh, Deng Shan, who is the founder of this practice thread. Dangshan uh, Langji, or Tozan Ryokai, and um, he's the founder of the, what we call the Soto School. Before in, in China, it was called the Zaodong School. Um, so he was the founder of that, and uh, there's many wonderful teachings uh, from him. And this, this is one of them. Uh, so, so, and the context of the story is that they had just finished uh, a practice period, a time of peaceful abiding, it's called, um, where they practice. Um, Connie's about to enter Tassahara for a time of peaceful abiding, right? Uh, for three months or so, something like that, yeah. So this tradition still continues. Uh, so, so the assembly, before Dungshan is, um, they're just finishing up their, um, their uh, practice period time, um, usually 100 days or three months. Um, and Dungshan spoke to the assembly and he said, it's the beginning of autumn, the end of summer, and you, you all you practitioners now will go some to the east, some to the west, 
You must go where there's not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. Now, grass is not like the mown lawns that we have. We think of grass as, you know, nice, nice carpet. Uh, grass at that time um, in this is more or less, I would call it like comparable to weeds. So Dungshan is saying, you're, you're, being, you're finished with the practice period, you're going out into the world now. Um, how do you go out into the world? How do you go out and meet the world now? You must go where there's not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. In other words, like, you must go out into the world now and in going out to the world, find a place where there's, there's no weeds, there's no defilements. So that's how he begins the conversation. And then he kind of corrects himself. He says, in a way, he says, um, he follows up the statement and he says, but where is there not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. So how can you go? He's kind of saying, wait a minute. Um, I take that statement back. There's no place you can't go that's not free from defilement, free from confusion. And another monk um, named Xinchuang said, uh, going out of the gate immediately there's grass. And another monk said, I'd even say, not even going out of the gate, still grass is boundless. <laughs> so this is a, a teaching about our practice and how we carry it out and how we make it uh, meet with our daily life. I wanted to have everyone talk and I'm, now I'm talking too much. Do you want to hear another story? Another little story? Um, it's from Dungsheng as well. Um, one, time a, uh, one time a monk came to him and said, how can I practice where there is no, no heat and no cold? I'm bothered by, in my practice, of it being too hot and too cold. How can I find a place that's neither hot nor cold? This monk came to Dungshan with that, this question. And Dungshan said, why not go to a place that's neither hot nor cold? <laughs> Simple response. The monk said, well, where, where is this place that's neither hot nor cold? And Dungshan said, um, When it's, when it's cold, it completely freezes you. Mm 
it kills you with coldness. And when it's hot, it completely cooks you. It kills you with heat. Wakarimaska, do you understand? For, for some time I've been thinking about, uh, about place, about being in place as a kind of understanding of the practice, of our practice life. We, um, we've come here, right? We're in place here at Chikoji. We're in position. We've arrived. We're here. We've chosen to be here. We're here. When we come, we sit and we uh, face a, a wall. This old tradition from the um, from Bodhidharma, facing the cave wall. We actually come to a place where we have to stop, where we can't go farther. Otherwise, we bump our head against the wall. <laughs> we actually choose to stop. We, in other words, we actually, in stopping, we've arrived at where we are. We're in place. We're in place. We've come to a place. And there's a... There's a statement by... Um, by the, the founder of this temple, Colvin Chino, who said, very interestingly, he said, you don't need to know who you are, you just need to have a sense of where you are. What do you think about that? To just know where you are, where you are in the world, where you are in your mind, where you are in relationship to existence. You don't need to know who you are. You don't need to have a description of, I don't need to have a description of Mike. I just need to know where Mike is. He happens to be right here and in the present moment, in this time and place. I, uh, there's a statement about that that I, I like. It goes, it goes this way. Sometimes when you are in the right place, that is, the right place in life, 
in the world, in your head, and so on. Purpose, when you are in the right place, purpose finds you. You do not need to find purpose. Purpose finds you when you are in the right place. And this implies that place precedes purpose. That the recognition and employment of purpose needs a position or a place or a basis to be experienced thoroughly, to be fully received. Another way to say this is when you find yourself where and when you are, acknowledge when and where you are, that is where you begin. There are variants of this recognition depending, of course, on particularities of one's circumstances and one's condition. But it can all be assumed to be the, the knowing where one is can all be assumed to be knowledge. And when knowledge is consolidated, it's called wisdom. So I'm sorry I talked too long, but I wanted everyone else to talk. So that's my little, that's what I've been thinking about lately as far as practice is concerned, to be in place, to arrive. Um, would anyone else have any thoughts about, about practice? You had a, you had a question? sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> this is my first time here also. During the second half of the sitting, I was watching the weeds out there blowing. Huh. That they're always here. This is a sacred place. They're always in a sacred place. And I just I was moved to 
wherever I am, I'm in a sacred place. It's not for me to be elsewhere, hmm. but to be here, hmm. where, wherever I am. So Among the weeds. <laughs> Among the weeds. <laughs> Doug, Doug and uh, Eric, in the last couple months, you've been working on, what is it, star thistle? Trying to pull up star thistle and something else. What's uh, the Euphorbia. Euphorbia, yeah. Apparently that's they're what's called an invasive species, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We've been helping, having help from Connie and, and uh, Hogan too, Jerome. Sometimes weeds, you know, make our beautiful flowers and and sometimes weeds have thorns, so you never know. <laughs> Star thistle has both. Who <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. has something to say about weeds, right? <laughs> their plants, their virtue has not yet been discovered. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are edible, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. <laughs> Do you know these golden books? I grew up with these golden books. They're published in Wisconsin, by the way. Yeah. This one's on weeds. So. Why do you have the weeds book? Hmm? Why do you have that book up your sleeve today? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm weedy. I'm ones. weedy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. this goes back yes. to the, the, the saying uh, of the idea of we don't need to ask who we are or who I am, but we could just ask where we are. Um, and to me, this sort of goes to the idea that there is no... Um, concrete, substantial self. Um, the idea of self is actually all interrelated with um, all the relationship outside. But my question is, in reality, for most of people, at least for me, even though I have this understanding, you know, the self is not concrete, it's not um, something that so solid, but in real life, I still, you know, possess that kind of self when I interact with people out there. And my personal practice to now where I am is that I can sort of um, um, be aware, I can bring the awareness of meditation into real life, bits and bits and bits during the day, like I would be aware for a few minutes and I would be dragged, you know, I would be pulled out whatever is happening around me as I work. And after a few minutes, I would be pulled back. It's good that you're able mm. to check in in your daily life a little bit. Yeah, with I'm a curious if you have any suggestion on you know, how that can be applied to real life more or just practice, keep, keep going. There is a sense if you, if you, practice this way. This, you could say that this situation here is uh, a kind of 
setup. You know, it's a deliberate setup. So we're, we set up a, a deliberate situation here where we can be still and quiet together. And it's, and it's intentional, you know. It's, you could say it's not natural because we're doing it intentionally or deliberately. Um, um, and uh, I think that's I think that's fine that we do that. And that if you do if you do this for a while, it you can assume. And uh, from my experience and other people's experience who've done this for a while, it does kind of naturally saturate into the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So without having a sense, without having a deliberate sense of a technique or a methodology or anything of, of application that you um, you find it's um, it's kind of an effortless um, um, meeting the world or being in the world uh, that it's it's saturated you could say um, or perfumed with with the sense of a, of a meditative state that does happen. It does happen. Um, but uh, I, I myself need need throughout the day. I, I like to sort of check in, like the way you talked about it. I like I and I I set up certain cues for myself sometimes to uh, check in with myself to a, a meditative mind. So. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like really easily distracted, so I need these cues occasionally to, to pull myself back. Um, so one of the most common ones, and the ones, the ones that are recommended like throughout the day, um, like you were talking about how busy life is and how the media and the complexity of life kind of, <coughs> kind of floods our, our attention so much that um, um, this is, it's necessary for us to step back from that um, with this meditation practice. So what the most common one is to, um, when, you, when you can remember, um, remember to remember, remember to come back into a kind of meditative, intentional, space throughout throughout the day and sometimes it's associated with just taking little breaks or just having a little gap you have a little space in in your life and you can kind of you can kind of check in the most common one is to check in with just uh, uh, just noticing your breath noticing an inhalation and an exhalation or maybe if you have time it could be two or three breaths and that, um, that just checking in with your, with your breath, taking a few mindful breaths throughout the day, kind of restores your, your sort of meditative state, you know. Uh, there's other ones too. Um, lately I've been working with um, mm, what do they call it in yoga? Asanas. Um, there's there's certain postures that we take. Like right now, we're sitting. Mm -hmm. um, 
And we might be standing up or you might be lying down in a bed or you might be um, reaching for something. Um, when, I'm, when an asana is, or a posture or a position is in place, um, I, I don't bring attention necessarily then, but I'm, I'm <clears throat> recently I'm bringing attention to when I change my posture to be very, very mindful or to be very, very aware or very kind of uh, tuned to the experience when I'm changing a posture. So, so getting up from a chair to stand up, that transition, that's my little cue to be mindful. That's what I've been working on lately. Um, and I've heard of other people recommending um, to be mindful um, certain, uh, certain sounds, mm -hmm. just being cued to certain sounds, and that certain sound will remind you to, to be present, you know, to be in place. And uh, what were the other ones? There was one uh, interesting one that I, th I think Thomas Merton recommended that, um, or he heard of a, a monk teaching another monk to be mindful. This was a Trappist monk to be mindful of, um, of the presence of God. Um, when, when they went through any kind of, um, uh, when they went from one, one room to another room, when they went through a door, when they went through any door or, any, or transitioned from one space to another, um, the cue was to be, to be mindful, to remember the presence of God. And I thought that was really a nice, you know, nice practice. Because you're, you're moving throughout the world, of course, but you go from one place, you go from one, you open a door and you close the door mindfully. So, so things, things like that can be, can be cue, you can cue yourself to be mindful throughout the day. Yeah. I like the idea of transition, like gesture, Uh -huh. I can set it up, like, it rings every couple of minutes, depends on your setting. It works at home, but when you, when you go to work... Yeah. Kind of like, uh-oh, here, here, ding, here I have mindfulness, huh? Yeah. Huh. Oh, I had a question about mindfulness. Um, in my practice, I've noticed that uh, I could sit with this deliberate intention of being mindful and putting effort into listening to the noises or the sounds around me and, and trying to still my mind. And I've noticed another way to go about it is, is not worry about putting this effort and just see, try to see what is going on in my mind and outside. Um, without, without effort, without deliberateness, without you mean? Deliberate effort. Yeah. I've noticed that when I take the first approach, uh, I I get I, there is more stillness, uh, but there is that effort, and in the second approach, uh, there is less stillness, and there is more wandering, but there yeah. is less effort. Less effort. Yeah. So, which yeah. of these is the right approach to 
Well, the the right approach. I would I would say the right approach is the most skillful approach that you're able to do, or the one that's the most successful according to the circumstances. In other words, like um, there isn't an absolute right approach. There's 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 approach there's a, there's whatever approach works, whatever approach is successful. Um, that's the right approach. So um, let's see. Um, in, in traditional uh, Buddhism, when they describe meditation, it's it's there's called the the four engagements, and uh, you can apply these these engagements according to your circumstances. So the first one is a forceful engagement. You actually intentionally, deliberately bring your attention to something. Um, you place your mind on the object of meditation or the, or the focus of meditation. You do, you do it forcefully or intentionally or deliberately. So the first one is forceful engagement. The second, the second one is um, uh, interrupted engagement. And that's engagement that either, well, there's two ways to describe it. Either, either you could, uh, either you're forcefully engaging or you're, you're engaging with something and then you lose it. You get distracted and you come back, but you just come back, you know? You lose it, you come back. You lose it, you come back. You lose it, you come back. He's, that, that's interrupted. There's another kind of interrupt, understanding of interrupted engagement, which is like, uh, instead, of, instead of it losing it and coming back, losing it and coming back, you simply just expand the field of, of awareness that includes everything or includes more, more than just a focus, say, on your breath. It includes your breath and the sound of the birds and the pain in your knee and um, a flickering of thoughts. So you expand the field of engagement and then within that field of engagement there's, um, there's interruption or transition from, from one object to another, but it's all included within your field of, of within, within your practice. You're kind of being more generous that way. The, there's a third kind of engagement which is called sustained engagement. And that's just simply you're with it. You're with it for one moment and you're with it with the next moment and you're at rest and you're, you're with it. It's with you and um, it just goes on, you know. It goes on for two breaths instead of one breath or three breaths or maybe four breaths <laughs> or maybe, you know, maybe 40 minutes of meditation. So, so that's a fourth, that's a third kind of engagement. The fourth one is called spontaneous engagement. And spontaneous engagement is like, there's no effort whatsoever. There's no even, there's no intention. It just spontaneously arises. Practice, Zazen does Zazen. You're, you're not the agents you're not the agent that is doing the practice. The practice is doing you. The Zazen is doing Zazen. 
and so in describing these four, um, whatever works, you know. I mean, it may it may be that a certain time you really have a busy, wild mind, and you need to forcefully engage. And there's other times when it might you might expand the field and be really generous and let it be interrupted and move from one thing to another. But it's within the field of meditation. Other times it might be sustained and just continuing by itself. Other times it might arise spontaneously. So, so. Um, Whatever, whatever works, you know? Whatever you can succeed at is, is the one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, along the lines of place and purpose, yes. I find for me that whenever I can just be fully present in the moment, mm. no matter what place I'm in, no matter if I'm at work, I'm at home, I'm here, mm. I'll be able to find my purpose in that moment. In that place. Hmm. That's well put. That yeah. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know, present without distractions of emotional reactions going on in my mind. Yeah. Just that kind of presence. Uh, yeah. Am I being clear? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like the word arrival, you know? Like you just you sit down in your chair and instead of instead of having you just arrive you're just there at your chair you know yeah. and it's a nice comfortable you're grateful to sit down or whatever and, and you're thinking about this and that but you've just arrived yeah same yeah yeah and then if someone you know a coworker or something pushes my buttons yeah <laughs> i can just come back to that place Mm -hmm. Just being present and not being in a reactionary place, I can find, you know, my purpose and how to respond. Mm -hmm. Well, part of part of that arrival too is actually acknowledging to yourself that your buttons got pushed too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. that's a more yeah. difficult yeah. arrival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking back about the grass and the comment about the outside world and time. And it seems to me that, especially in, in my experience, when I first started sitting, the thoughts that came up were, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and there's not enough time and I'll be tired and blah, 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 blah. That's my suffering, chattering mind. And, and the way that that reminds me of the grass is, oh, I've got to pick this piece of grass and this piece of grass and this piece of so that I can clear the field of grass. And that seems to me the nature of suffering for me. Like, I have so many things I have to do. I must be very important. <laughs> and there's so much to do and there's so little time. And as I sat more, I guess I just noticed the present moment more. And, and I also acknowledged to myself that there's 
more weeds than I could ever in a lifetime or a million, thousand million culpas remove. And so I might as well enjoy the sound of the cricket outside or something. Mm -hmm. And incorporate it, yeah, invite it. Yeah. And so when I'm sitting there thinking about the future, what I need to do, and then I can come back to this moment and then I'm <laughs> Pulling weeds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the outside world sort of feeds us so well. Um, not just not just our individual little. Um, projects of maintaining the self, you know, sustaining the self with our various um, identity projects, you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but also the outside world. There's a lot of information out there, you know. There's a lot of media that comes at us, and uh, um, after a while, we sort of get comfortable in that density level of input and sustaining, uh, sustaining it with internal dialogue. That when we um, when we actually do some practice like this, where where that it stops, it's able to stop. It's invited to stop. It's a safe situation to actually stop that for a while and see what remains. Um, or if it doesn't stop, at least it becomes a little more transparent or a little less important or a little, or there's gaps in it, you know. Um, sometimes when we experience that, it's almost, um, almost like a culture shock. Um, it's a, it could be a little bit scary, all that space that we make. So, um, yeah, I've heard that explained, and I think I've had that experience too. In meditation, we're so used to a certain density level inside our mind and our activity that when we're still and we're quiet this way, um, the actual experience becomes, um, there's resistance to that experience, and uh, if not fear. Or, and then we immediately, you know, like that same horror vacui, nature of horrors of vacuum, we've, we've made some space and what do we do? We fill it up again, you know, just to keep our density level <laughs> similar, you know, to keep the story going. It's an interesting dynamic. So actually, uh, you could say, those of us that are meditating are doing are actually um, very brave. We're very courageous. So we're meeting, we're making space, and we're meeting emptiness. You know, we're bravely being where where nothing is happening <laughs> for a while. And then we start to think again, right? That's great. Thanks for sharing that.
Um, just to go with, I know exactly what you mean. I've been feeling the same way. Yeah, I've got a pile of dishes, and I'm like, alright, boring, gotta do dishes. And you gotta go do yoga, and then you gotta go to work, and then I'm just kind of thinking about it, and I'm like, why? Why? It feels painful. Like, I don't really want to right now. And so after kind of meditating on it for a while, throughout the day, I kind of just slowly realize where it came from, and you know, I don't really need to be in a hurry. Like, it's nice to be able to have dishes to eat off them and then to clean them so I can use them again and share it with my friends. So I'll enjoy doing it. So I start to, what you were saying, freeing up space. I feel like I've been doing that and I was scared because I was like, well, now what? <laughs> what does that mean? And I was like, well, it doesn't mean anything. Like, what I. I feel love. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of that's where I feel I'm at right now. It's really moving. You bring bring appreciation to that, uh huh? Yeah. yeah. Those simple activities, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And part of the nature of my suffering is that I think, do I do the dishes, or do I sweep the sweep the floor, or do I? practice piano, or I, do I go to exercise class, or do I, do I, do I, do I, and by part of the relief is, it's all okay, I just do what I'm doing. And it's not that I'm not doing what I'm not doing. So it's okay. Hi, I'm going to study with you. I haven't arrived at that stage. <laughs> I often catch myself thinking about all the other things I have to do while I'm doing right. one thing. Yeah. That's suffering. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They say that when the Buddha was awakened, he was, he was happy. And his, he was thoroughly happy, you know, not just an emotional feeling. He was, he was, he was happy in the sense that he, he was complete. There was nothing he had to do, you know. There was nothing he had to be because he was finished. He he uh, he in the Pali Sutras in the original sutras he talks of himself in the third person as one who has completed the work, who has completed the task, who actually finished something, you know. <laughs> and so he was able to teach after that. So. Oh my goodness, Stuck, talking of completion. Um, before we go for lunch, can I, I'd like to read a little something. It's kind of a, it's from the teacher, um, I can find it here. Um, it's from the teacher, uh, Hong, Hong Ji, who um, who uh, was was part of this.
practice uh, thread, and he wrote the commentaries for the Book of Serenity, the Shoyuroku, from where these, um, where many of these stories come from. And he he um, he's the founder of this silent illumination, which is now that in the Japanese it's called shikantaza, just sitting for itself, just sitting without any. Um, gaining idea or ex expectation, S silent illumination, uh, what's it called? It's called um, Myo Zhao Chan, silent illumination practice. Um, so he wrote, he wrote some, uh, um, you could call them little um, encouragements for his assembly little teaching encouragements for his assembly. Um, um, so this is, this is one from um, our ancestor Hongzhi. Correct, correct practice is to simply sit in stillness and silently investigate. There is a deep state reached where Externally, one is no longer swirled, swirled about by causes and conditions. When mind is empty, it is all-embracing, brightly luminous, apt, impartial, no thoughts, no grasping after things, vast and removed from anything other than being just as it is. There's no confusion. You are alive and potent. All dependency and opposition cease. One is self-contained, and this content contentment has nothing to do with emotional feelings. Just rely on nothing at all. This state of suchness is full of life, full of spirit, does not fall in into defilement, and is a place of rest. It is also bright, and being bright, it is penetrating. It responds smoothly in accordance with phenomena, and phenomena do not obstruct each other. It is like clouds floating effortlessly on mountain peaks, shining, reflecting the moon's light, reflecting in the mountain streams. This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you.